piece break thee off look where it comes again in the same figure like the king that's dead thou art a scholar speak to it horatio looks it not like the king Hi, I'm Shannon Camp. I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 8, In the Same Figure Like the King That's Dead. Robert enacts a plan to mend the rift between him and Liam. Eleanor spends a fun, eventful day with Sebastian. Jasper tries to bury Harper's story about him by offering her a better one. Helena's new suitor causes strife in the palace. Cyrus dabbles in alternative medicine. Well, there are weeks when the Hamlet quotes are very much represented in the episode, and this week was not really one of them, in my opinion. I mean, you could stretch it and be like, Robert is reminiscent of Simon or whatever, but yeah, it's not as direct as sometimes they are. A lot of times, though, confess, like, thematically that actually makes sense. A lot of times it's just that there's one word that reminded the writers of the title, but the quote itself has nothing to do with the content or theme of the episode. Episode. Of course, most notoriously, the slings and arrows of Outrageous Fortune when Ashok was literally shot with an arrow. Yeah, exactly. This was kind of a surprising episode because like we talked about last week, we sort of assumed that by now, with only three episodes left in the season, we were going to start to get to the political meat of... Uh, the machinations of who's going to take over the throne. But I guess we forgot that this isn't House of Cards because that definitely didn't happen at all. I do feel like usually by the last three episodes, they're building up to the, the big climax and it's very much about the overarching plot of the season. This episode, however, is not. But the storyline with Jasper is probably the only one that kind of moved the plot in any significant fashion. I don't know. I think the Robert and Liam stuff may come to pay out in time. That was felt very groundwork laying Mm -hmm. in a positive way because it was entertaining to watch and it sort of kept you guessing. I mean... Robert is such a vegetable soup of a character. They have thrown so many ingredients into this stew, and it's kind of working because the actor who plays him is good, but I have no idea, is he good? Is he bad? Will he be a good king? Does he want to be king? Why did he want to stay on the island? Why anything? I mean, why the hourglass? Regardless, I think it's fair to say the Eleanor storyline moved forward very little, and the Cyrus storyline pretty much not. Not at all. Once again, everyone is off kind of doing their separate thing until a brief scene where Liam and Robert's shared yeah. storyline intersects with Helena's. And then at the very end of the episode, Liam sees Jasper. Other than that, pretty much all of our series regulars are off their doing yep. their own thing exclusively. Yeah. Um, it starts with a flashback heavy montage of Liam running, uh, initially running at night. But apparently he runs through the night because after all the flashbacks, it's like morning or midday and he sees an old, uh, some graffiti that says King, hashtag King Liam, which they still say in this episode. Again, a character verbally says hashtag King Liam. 
in a dramatic With a great context. deal of gravity, too. Yeah. The hashtag King Liam movement bears that out. You can't have hashtag in a line like that. <laughs> Just say the King Liam movement. We yes. get it. That's what, well, that's what hashtags do. They're uh, like a function that categorizes something. They're right. not meant to be necessarily included as part of the thing. Well, both uh, Helena and this graffiti include the hashtag. The graffiti has been uh, written over with save the tigers which is uh part of this episode in fact you know what the most heartbreaking thing about hashtag king liam is technically we have willow to blame for it technically so stab a knife right into my back the one character i thought i could trust the tigers thing though i will give them this uh this is all that it comes up in liam's storyline but it does come up to some degree in like three storylines yes the tigers are a running motif slash gags slash yeah. i'm not really sure there's something wrong with the tigers we don't go into it too much but there is a problem with the tigers there were actually a couple tiger centric jokes in this episode that legitimately got a laugh out of me at one point when rosie loses eleanor and prince sebastian she goes tigers never leave their pack but i'm pretty sure tigers are lone animals that don't have packs at all yeah so i laughed yeah and cyrus later tries to get some tiger blood but is foiled <laughs> because they're basically extinct or something i just got it is that a Charlie Sheen tiger blood joke that the show is trying to make? Oh, I did not put that together. I just thought because they were doing that tiger run, they decided to Yeah, use but then tigers. you said tiger blood out loud and I was like, oh my gosh, winning. Maybe. Maybe it is. So Eleanor is has hired Rosie on as her permanent bodyguard. There's kind of a nice scene where Rosie is very nervous about her first day. And I'll say this right off the bat. Uh, despite the fact that when we first met Rosie, uh, being just one of the boys down at the veterans meeting, I despised her. I like Rosie a lot. Yeah, she's great. I'm really, really enjoying her. She's really turned it around by showing human characteristics instead of being a pastiche of men's sexual desires. Mm -hmm. This scene revealed to me that the show is written by Americans because there's a funny joke where she says she feels like she accidentally dressed like a women's basketball coach, which is fine, except that I don't think basketball is really much of a thing in England. I don't think it's a very popular or well-known sport, especially women's basketball, but yeah. that's just my two cents. She does follow it up with the sign, old Seinfeld line, not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> but yes. So maybe another indication of Americanisms. Um, Which is fine. I mean, it wasn't like a glaring error, but I was just like, oh, you yeah. really tipped your hand, E. Basically, she's waiting like outside Eleanor's door when she wakes up in the morning after Eleanor briefly tries to text Jasper, because that's what she does now. And she's super nervous, and she doesn't know if she she's like, oh, I'm not supposed to talk to you until you talk to me. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. Hi. Sorry. And then there's a long pause, and then Eleanor's like, hi, you can talk now. And throughout the episode, Rosie is very, she's trying to fit into her new job. And it's endearing. It pays yeah. off a little bit later on. Um, I liked that she wore tennis shoes to work for a job that requires her to be on her feet all day. Mm -hmm. I liked that she was a professional woman dressed professionally. She was. Pants, jacket, and a shirt. No cleavage. No wearing a blazer yeah. as a dress. She looked 
very appropriate, which she, is a real treat. She doesn't. Uh, su- surprising for this show, even at the Naked Tiger Run, she dresses very modestly. But, uh, yeah, she's sort of the opposite of that character in Jurassic World, who caught all that flack. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, who was running around in heels for, you know, the entire movie. Ooh, that just made my ankles hurt sympathetically. Yeah, like a short dress and a very tight top and all that. Rosie dresses appropriately for the job she has. Good on you, Rosie. You are unlike 99% of the people in this universe, including most of... Up until recently, the staff at this palace. That's why it has to be acknowledged. Uh, Eleanor informs her that they're going to a naked tiger run. Now, this, when I read the summary of the episode prior to watching it, I was like, what the fuck is even that? So, prompted by that, because they treat this very casually, actually, for most part, for the most part, it inspired me to look it up. And there is an event that has gone on for a couple of years, hosted by the London Zoo, called Streak for the Tigers. I'm speechless. So this is based <laughs> in a real thing. These birds are wild. Yeah. Uh, I imagine it's probably in a closed off, like the London Zoo is closed off for the day so children can't get in. Um, but yeah. <laughs> you make it sound like they're like at the gates rattling the bars. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's probably a lot of, there's a lot of nude people running around the zoo. No. So it was just funny the, the way you phrased it. That's all. They do go to this thing. Um, and as we alluded to, Eleanor has like a bunch of body paint on and, uh, like, I don't know, sort of like a tiger themed bra whatever it's basically like a swimsuit i mean it's like a bikini top and bikini bottom it's black and uh rosie elected to show up in basically like a children's tigger costume i'm into it yeah it looks comfortable uh and it makes her feel better than being you know exposed which is a totally legitimate choice if eleanor feels better wearing her bikini outfit that's cool too and there's it's the first of two jokes in literally 5 minutes about where would i keep my blank um <laughs> because she's like where would i keep my gun if i dressed like you don't answer that and a few minutes later sebastian who is wearing something fairly revealing is like just don't ask where i kept my money and cell phone so there's two of the same joke in a very short span of time uh yeah so sebastian uh turns out to be the one who invited her it's not a date but he is super naked mm-hmm. and he's got like basically underwear with t- with a tail hanging out the back on and then some body paint okay he looks like he's wearing like a sexy hobbs costume both of them have yeah. ears both of them have like fluffy ears. Eleanor's makeup is a little more Andrew Lloyd Webber's cats. And I won't lie to you. There were moments from certain angles where it freaked me out a bit because cats, the musical is one of my true phobias. Sebastian takes <laughs> a little bit of time to fat shame some people walking by, but uh... yeah, sorry. We can't all be model turned actors, Toby Sandeman. Yeah, or whatever your name is. Some of these lions have a little bit too much pride and too little sun on the reservation or something like that as some larger folks walk by him. This show loves fat shaming, so it's whatever. Uh, luckily, they don't linger on it too much. Uh, so Sebastian... When he gave Eleanor his number last episode, they had that whole, like, it's not a date exchange. Like, oh, you understand? It's not a date. And they have this meetup. And, like, again, it's like, oh, it's not a date. But he wastes very little time in, 
like flirting with her, mm-hmm. commenting on how naked she is, how naked he is, yeah. the nakedness of the day in general. And it's like, yes. okay, <laughs> some friend. I mean, it's obvious what they're cruising towards. So it, mm-hmm. it wasn't that shocking, but it was kind of like just one of those, of course, moments. Yes, he's being primed, uh, even though it doesn't come to fruition in this episode, as a new romantic rival for Jasper, I guess, or a romantic interest from Eleanor, depending on how you want to look at it. So they go on this run. Rosie, who again is very charming in this scene, is like running up ahead and she's calling back like, I trained with special ops. If you need me to slow down, I will gladly slow down. And she looks around and they're gone (laughs) because Always. And I'm glad that they alluded to this later in the episode. Eleanor ditches her bodyguards constantly. Yes. And James Hill actually alludes to that. And I liked that once again, they showed that soldiers are more physically capable than ordinary people because it's fun when the show knows how things actually work in the world because it happens so rarely. Yes. I mean, for instance, this naked tiger run, as far as I could tell, is occurring in January. (laughs) Which seems a little wrong. I guess their weather is slightly different there, although I remember January in London being very cold and rainy and chilly. And I enjoyed that Willow wore a very weather-appropriate trench coat later on in the episode. The real Tiger Run occurs in August, but as you'll remember, listener, Christmas has just passed in the Royals universe. It's like The Sims. Weather doesn't exist. Sebastian and Eleanor sneak off, and... He buys her a shirt, so she's uh, she's got a big I Heart London shirt, and they go to a uh, a restaurant, and it's sort of a Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like Maitre D character greets them. It's such a blank, white, empty, modernist restaurant that I'm mm. pretty sure that their next move will be that Sebastian is going to ask Eleanor to help him decorate it. Maybe. Because, as we'll see, when they're denied a table because they're basically Uh nude, although they're both extremely good looking, um, by the snooty maitre d', then Sebastian just buys the restaurant and kicks all the nice customers who didn't do anything wrong out. Everybody out. That seems rude. Hopefully at least paid for their meals. But, um, yeah, the maitre d' is like, Hmm, this restaurant isn't open for the likes of you. Despite the fact that he should be aware, that is the Princess of England. Also, that there's this tiger event around, so it's not like they're just random furries walking around getting their jollies on being sexy tigers in public. Yeah, but he totally pulls, like, that one, I don't remember, in one of the Batman movies, there's a scene where Bruce Wayne just buys a hotel, and Sebastian just literally does that same thing he just buys it over the phone in like 20 seconds but uh they kind of changed the topic without ever getting to the point of this statement but he does bring up her design career again during their um like lunch together at the restaurant that he just bought which apparently he keeps all the staff but the maitre d so that someone can cook for them um i I think he keeps the maitre d because he's just like i'm gonna need your jacket and he's kind oh, of right. like he just a little snooty, him. like, all right, chop, chop, give me the, give it quickly and all that. Just a public shaming. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but uh, yeah, he definitely 
uh, brings it up again in a way that makes me feel like he might ask her to decorate the restaurant now that he's bought it, which would be cool because, be like I've been saying, I'm into her being a designer because I'm into her having something in her life besides men who make her completely miserable and women who make her completely miserable. It's hard to imagine much time left for that kind of stuff, but I guess the next episode's going to be Privy Council. Maybe Eleanor won't be there. I feel like she has to be, though. Maybe. Oh my gosh, yes. So he eventually, after their dinner, brings out two full racks of clothes that I don't... Sebastian has a superpower, and it is that he can set up all this shit, like, crazy quickly without anybody noticing. Like, did he... He's super step- rich! I know, but you still have to, like, theoretically make some call. Like, I feel like he must have stepped into the bathroom for, like, 20 minutes and been like, <laughs> I need two, like, full racks of clothes. Here's the size I need of those clothes. Please bring them to this address. But whatever. He, he gets her a, a full new outfit for her to wear, and it's very nice. Uh, is there anything that sticks out? They, you know, they say goodbye or whatever. And again, like it's established that it's not a date, but it's very flirtatious. Uh, but for the most part, he was really nice and gentlemanly throughout. After they find Rosie crying to James Hill about losing them, he like quickly steps forward to take yeah. the heat off of both Rosie. Off of both Rosie and, and Eleanor, Eleanor yeah. he is gracious. He apologizes. Like, stuff with the maitre d' aside, he seems like he's kind to people. And uh, so we'll get to it when we talk to Jasper's plot. But Jasper tells Harper, the reporter, like, tell me what you can find about Sebastian Idrisi. And I just know how this show works. I feel like they're setting this up that like, oh, Sebastian is the perfect guy. And then Jasper and Harper are going to like find something about him. And it turns out he's a devious asshole. And like everything we've seen with him so far won't matter at all. It'll, you know what I'm thinking? A classic Hans from Frozen. Yes, because he's the seventh in line for the throne in his own country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's going to be something. So, like, I really like him. And it's, again, like, I hate to harp on this, but the show is just so mind-blowingly white. It's really nice to have someone who's not around. But I just can't let myself get attached because I know this show is in love with Eleanor and Jasper's yeah. relationship. And they're never going to let him have a real shot. They're not going to have him do anything actually wrong in his scenes. And then there's going to be this I bet you anything, because there's so little time left in the season. Yeah. It's just going to be a bombshell, and he'd be like, ha, 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 I was evil all along, ha, 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 and like yeah. sprout horns. But uh, so far, that has not happened, so we get to enjoy uh, the love is an open door era, Sebastian, I guess. <laughs> um, I love that you have that frame of reference. Sure. I'm being sincere. Rosie's like sitting there, and it's clear she's been crying, um, and... You know, she's still kind of awkward and a little fumbling, like not incompetent at her job. Like she doesn't give that vibe. She's just a little awkward and is having a little trouble fitting into this new environment that's a little more formal than I think she's used to in some ways. Yeah, I thought that like her nervousness at being in a new job that's in a very formal environment, whereas before when she was in the military, obviously there's discipline, but there isn't 
<clears throat> the same sort of like mm -hmm. etiquette situation. And she was probably in a situation where she got to know the people she was working with really closely and they were buddy buddy and swearing and stuff. So it's just different. And, um, and I liked that she had nerves about it because most of the people in the Royals universe are like, uh, very confident in themselves or completely self-loathing, but nothing in and, between. Often a pendulum swinging between the two. And I like that she had been really upset about the fact that she lost Eleanor and that she had actually like been a little, that the fact that she had like been crying about it made me like her more because it's a sharp contrast to when we first saw her and you'd figure she would just be like a too cool and above it all kind yeah, of person. Yeah, I've never cried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, but there's a nice scene where, like uh, Shannon said, Sebastian's like, it was my idea to run away. James Hill's like, I told her it's kind of a rite of passage for the princess to ditch her bodyguard. Because the same thing happened to James Hill. Although, to James Hill's credit, I remember he did track her down. Like, he was secretly shadow following her. So he was one step but ahead. The consequences of that were disastrous, disastrous. though, because that was Mandy. That she was ran away Mandy. with Mandy, who hey. I feel like, even though I feel like Sebastian will turn out to be devious mm -hmm. in some way, there's no way he could be as terrible as Mandy. That's probably true. But yeah, uh, Eleanor and Rosie, whose last name is in a interesting little wrinkle, Hosier. Hosier. So her name is Rosie Hosier. Um, which is a fun name to say, I guess. Okay, show. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's not much of a joke, but whatever. Uh, Eleanor and Rosie hug. And I also liked after this, when they hug, Sebastian kind of gives a little smile and tries to turn to James Hill. And James Hill just looks at him, sort of like <laughs> reprimanding him. And he stops smiling immediately. It's a nice beat that's not... Like a lot of James Hill stuff, not overplayed. I wish the actor who played James Hill had more to do because he's too. so funny. Yeah. And also the blue suit outfit he is wearing in this episode is nice. The costume designer really outdid herself on this one. Yeah, he, uh, it is a little bit of a tragedy because he's so funny and he's really a good actor. And the fact that he runs around so much in the periphery, just kind of taking care of a lot of exposition or loose ends is is a bit of a waste, I feel like. Sarah Alice, by the way, again, not in this episode. Which I think is good because Christmas, the Christmas episode was so heavy on the Sarah Alice mm -hmm. and literally Deus Ex Sarah Alice when she pulled the magical presents out of the wall. So we needed a break from her, but I'm sure we'll see her again before the season is out. I would be very would surprised so. if we don't. I would imagine there'll be a little bit of her. The other character who is... Uh, more or less completely segregated from every other character this episode. In fact, maybe more, so, no, just as much as Eleanor. I don't think she interacts with any other major member of the family is Cyrus. He's, we first encounter Cyrus when he's in his room, someone cosplaying as Johnny Depp's version of Tonto from the Lone Ranger is also there. Joke, copyright 2017 by Shannon Camp over text. Um, <laughs> but no, it actually, it's, it's not even a joke because this character literally is wearing Johnny Depp's racist yeah. Tonto from the Lone Ranger costume. The cracked white face paint. The giant dead bird thing on it's the front of his head. Larger the bird. black hair. Yeah, but it's it's like crazy how close it is to yeah. the Lone Ranger costume that caught flack for being racist years ago. And like, come on, E, where what's going on? I, I don't know why they chose such a similar costume. I don't know 
if this character is supposed to be a region or nationality, if any, this character is supposed to be a riff on, because I'm not sure there's any reason to assume it's a Native American kind of style. The shaman, quote unquote shaman, is definitely white because James Hill finds out his real name later on. It's and like it Murray. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's a very Caucasian name. So. But anyways, so Cyrus is trying to cure his cancer using spiritual healing okay show all right yeah that's what you are that seems like something he would do um so some, they have lost control of this character's plot i don't line. yeah i don't know i mean I, it felt like last episode with him getting the blackmail and stuff maybe they were pulling it back on track and i assumed this episode there would be more of him scheming on how to manipulate the Privy Council, but there is almost none. There's one brief scene where he talks to Man Baby Westcott. I forgot Westcott's name for a while, and I started calling him Wormtail, which is also very fitting. Yeah, and it's like a short conversation where he's just like, because it's unrelated to the rest of his plotline, where he's just like, you need to make sure that the Privy Council goes to me. You're burying the lead, though. He walks down into the secret, secret tunnels chamber. and just yeah. yells out, I want to talk about the Privy Council or like something to that effect. And Westcott appears from the shadows, very much like the time Cyrus banged Used a gong, gong and Liam and Eleanor appeared from behind a maybe, partition. Maybe like Sebastian can just arrange these things like super covertly and very quickly. Cyrus's superpower is that he is can summoning? just- He can summon people. He can apparate people. <laughs> Anything they can put in the secret tunnels, they do put in the secret tunnels, yeah. first of all. You have to put that out there. But it's hilarious. Like, the lighting is almost greenish, and Westcott just, like, steps out from the shadows. I mean, there's a reason he was making me think of uh, Peter Pettigrew. There's one kind of classic evil Cyrus line in that scene that I kind of like, where Westcott says, God save the king, and Cyrus replies with, God can suck it. You save the king, Westcott, <laughs> and the king will save you. <laughs> Cyrus is bigger than Jesus. Yeah. Prior to this, Cyrus is trying to get his holistic medicine game on. He It's pretty clear from the beginning that this guy's a charlatan because his three requests are the blood of a, a ferocious predator, representation of your heart's true desire, there might have been a third thing, and 65,000 pounds. The third thing was there was like some magical crystal or something like that. It was yeah. some bullshit prop. But, okay, so the thing he uses for the quote-unquote symbolic representation of his heart's desire is Violet's fishmonger body double. Yes. Why not use, I don't know, the locket Violet gave him that was the last thing she ever gave to him with the picture of her in it that was engraved with a message Better from yet, her? Better yet, use the lookalike of yourself. That would have been great. <laughs> But, yes. But he needed... That would have been more honest. We're fortunately, though, spared any Violet talk. I don't think they even say her name in this episode. Nope. And that character solely functions as a little comedy sidekick for Cyrus's misadventures in holistic medicine. That's her whole role in the episode. The thing about the actress who plays Violet's body double is that she's super cute and she's way funnier and more fun than Violet ever was. Sure. Like, she makes jokes, she, like, rolls her eyes and reacts to things instead of just simpering like Violet did. She is much better uh, than Violet. And I'm, yes, and I'm very pleased. When I first saw her, I assumed there would be a lot of moping about Violet and that did not come to pass and... 
That is one aspect of the storyline I am grateful for. That is the only aspect of the storyline I am grateful for. One other thing that pays off at the very end okay, of the episode that I, right. I really like. I take it all back. Okay, so Cyrus wants to get a tiger to be the blood of a ferocious predator for his sacrifice, but they're endangered, so he can't get one. Like, he has some line, like, apparently they're all dead, or something like yeah. that. He's really mad that he can't get one. So he gets a fox, but it's like a baby fox. It's like Todd from Fox and the Hound. Yeah. And I mean, initially he offers instead of a tiger's blood, quote, the blood of the fiercest predator of all, the king of England. He wishes. He has let us all down. But the shaman rejects it. And he, uh, and so they get a, a little cute baby fox and Violet's fishmonger body double. I wish we had a name for her, this poor woman. <laughs> nope, we got Violet's nope. fishmonger body double. That's her official title. I think the credits list her as such. Is immediately enamored by this fox, and with good reason, it is pretty adorable. It looks like a little puppy dog. I was enchanted also at first sight. So she, uh, she's like, what is this for, to play with? And Cyrus is like, no, I'm going to kill it. And he takes it by the leash into his room and like and locks everyone else out. As he does so, and I, I like that they're having him do this, use this a lot. He pulls out his cane sword that Simon gave him. I think there's a... I can't... I wish I remember He says, I'm the untold story at some yes. point. Yeah, I am the secret weapon, I th or I am the untold story, yeah. It always would have made more sense to find his moments of pathos with Simon as opposed to with Violet, and I still will never understand why they went that way in season two when they could have had so much more fun with a character like James Holloway, who was being sexually blackmailed as so many people have been on the show even his moments of sort of humanization in his scenes with robert are more effective than the violet stuff ever was not that it's like the most effective thing ever but it works in the context of the show he's about to you know bayonet this little fox with his uh snake cane sword that mm -hmm. simon bequeathed him from beyond the grave and you hear like the fox squealing and there's a scuffle but it's obvious that it survived because they cut to cyrus having his hand bandaged by violet's body double uh they tell james that there's a fox loose in the palace which, which james again, finds hilarious and it's really cute yeah well james gives one of his classic his looks that he is very good at he communicates a lot non-verbally that actor and yeah this is a good example of him being kind of taken aback by the idea that now there is a fox loose somewhere in the palace yeah he seems to find it charming i guess it's good that Alice isn't in the palace today mm -hmm. because she's someone who might legitimately be a risk from a small fox. Uh, but the, they have, he's like a cute exchange with Violet's body double. Uh, Cyrus keeps being like, Oh, it's ferocious predator. And she's like, it's a little baby. It's so cute. And James is having a laugh with her. But again, it's weird because all these scenes feel like in service of making these really cliche hackneyed jokes about like, Oh, he's scared of a little baby animal. Mm -hmm. Ha 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 ha. And it's like, okay, it's not particularly hilarious. It's fine, but it's, it's fine. also like, why are we doing this? I would say up until this point, this storyline, aside from thinking it's a little weird that Cyrus would do this Easter, this like alternative medicine thing at all. And aside from the costuming on the shaman, I would say I don't have any significant problems with this storyline to this point. James Hill does a background check on the shaman. Unsurprisingly, he's a fraud. 
Violet's body double says we've all been thinking, which is, why did you ever think this would work in the first place? And Cyrus at first is like, I don't want to die. But then he immediately takes a bizarre turn and starts talking about how he's going to blow, quote, blow his brains out if he doesn't get the crown. This scene before James Hill enters starts semi-comedically. Like, it's clear Cyrus is not super engaged and is maybe a little down because he's kind of offering monosyllabic responses to Violet's queries. Like, she points out in another jokey moment this really ostentatious portrait of Cyrus on the wall. Oh, yeah, this was actually really funny. That's, like, literally, like, him, like, a sort of like a classical portrait, like, (laughs) painting of a Greek god with, like, a a wavy robe on a bed and surrounded by numerous people. Like courtiers? Yeah, basically. And she's like, did you actually pose for this? Did all those people actually pose for this? And he's like, yes. And they cut to a quick little shot of the portrait. And she's like, that little guy in the corner is creepy. And Cyrus (laughs) is like, everybody says that. That was laugh out loud funny. They it's like this little guy almost underneath Cyrus's couch and it's just a super quick shot of him. Uh the face didn't quite match, but given how in the shadows and tucked away under everything he was, maybe it was James Holloway still in his sex cage. <laughs> there was a resemblance with the thick, thick eyebrows. Yeah. But I was yeah, I really liked that joke, especially because of how deadpan Cyrus played. Everybody says that. Yeah. Uh, so that was definitely the best joke. But I was not as enamored with all the, I'm going to blow my brains out if I lose the crown. Because we haven't even seen him use his yes. power as king to do anything. Yeah, he talks about how he doesn't want to miss life. He doesn't want to miss his life. Like, it's very, very emo Cyrus and uh, Violet Fishmonger lookalike. Um <laughs> is trying to be like, don't say things like that, but uh, doesn't seem to do much to pull him out of his stupor. Yeah, and then he has that scene with Westcott slash mm-hmm. Wormtail. So other than that, there's not anything to say about his plot. He's Pretty much Cyrus. And someone else who has uh, a plot line that we must get to because we have no other choice yes. is Jasper. Yes, he's back. After a one-week uh, one reprieve, off, he came rolling back. Uh, very early in the episode. Well, guess who else is back? Harper. Harper, the report, the intrepid reporter, whom Jasper breaks into her home, wakes her up. Um, Fuck this scene. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not a Harper fan. I think I made it very clear for the other two episodes she'd been on that I don't respect her as a reporter and I don't enjoy her as a character. But... I don't like this gag of like this vulnerable, barely dressed woman in her bed waking up and suddenly there's this strange, hostile man sitting there watching her. That was not funny. It was not a fun surprise. I will give this to the scene. At least Harper is scantily clad and it makes sense in the context for once. I guess I really didn't had like a visceral reaction of strong dislike to this moment. Looks like Jasper has been doing some digging on Harper and she has this really ridiculous sordid background. Okay, here's what I gathered from it. She used to be in Dubai. She has an eight-year-old child. She used to run drugs for a sheik. Inside, she was a drug mule because they say the drugs were inside her and she had a sexual relationship with the sheik that 
doesn't necessarily sound very consensual because I think the exact line is something like you were more comfortable with having the drugs in your body than him or something. Yeah, it was horrifying. It was bad. I don't know if the... And then he threatens to tell her eight-year-old son about this if she doesn't comply with him. It's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, again, yeah, it's really, really bad. It's weird, um, yeah. And the way he phrases it is so gross. I really was like, what are we doing here, folks? <laughs> to quote, we hate movies. Like, what are we doing here? Like, he, he says, okay, I'll get you a better story than the one about me and Eleanor if you scrap it. That's basically his deal. And it's also played at a couple points in the episode as he's trying to offer her some kind of redemption or escape by offering her this story. It'll make her the real reporter she wants to be and she can, I guess, escape from her past. Yeah, so why threaten her with exposing her horrible sexual past to her very small child? Just be like, know. hey, let's make a deal. Here's yeah, your story. Like you take my story off. Anyways, Jasper goes off to provide his new mega story. And guess who's back? It's one of our favorite plot devices slash exposition machines from the past two seasons. Lowlife thug Boone, who tried to kill Robert. He's like a Guy Ritchie character light. Uh, he's living on a boat, I guess. They posture and they point guns at each other. They have that moment where they both pull out their guns and turn around in the exact same moment, like in a cartoon. Boone's like, I'm never going to go with you. And he's like, <laughs> oh, we'll see about that. And then in the next scene, Boone's got a big old black eye. That's because Jasper's motto is always violence solves everything. Jasper does have the superpower of being able to knock out anyone with a single punch. Yeah, he brings him in to talk to Harper and my least favorite thing in the world happens, which is Brandon is like, I've got the story for you, but no recorders and I want to make sure you're not wearing a wire. So Harper allows him to pat her down which takes an excruciatingly long time i was like okay haha like we get it he's feeling her up but the camera is like doing close-ups of his hands on her body like it lingers yeah. and then when he's done he's like i already knew you weren't wearing a wire <laughs> it's just yeah. really gross jasper does immediately point his gun at his head again i felt the same way this is the first scene in the three episodes that we've had Harper in where she is dressed fairly reasonably. Yeah, she's wearing a sweater and pants. Yep. I'll take it. Yeah, she looks like a normal person, how a normal person would dress if they were going out into public. He starts being like, oh, I was the one who was hired to kill Prince Robert. I didn't do it, but I tried. <laughs> This accent is amazing. It's like Al Capone trying to pass as a British man. Yeah, there is one line, I don't remember what happens in this storyline, that was so, like, pseudo-action movie dumb that it did make me laugh, where this Brandon character says to Jasper, One of these days, Frost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So, like, we don't see him telling Harper his story, but no. she walks out and she's like, it's a good story, but it means nothing without proof. And Jasper is like, oh, I'll get you proof. And she's like, how? And he's like, don't worry about it. Typical Jasper non-answer. And then he gets her to say that she'll get info on Sebastian. And this is the part where I was like, okay, yeah, he's gonna try whatever. And, but also importantly... Before Brandon leaves, he talks to Jasper. That's what I want to talk about. Yeah, this scene is insane. And they have this weird conversation where I guess the writers are like, okay, we have to make Jasper seem good, I guess. And so 
Brandon's like got this really heavy-handed monologue where he's like, neither of us are sympathetic characters in this particular play, but maybe yeah, like all the world's a stage, yeah, and all the men and women merely players. You do seem to be motivated by something else. Love. Maybe there's hope for you yet. What do you get out of this? Redemption, maybe. So bad. So dumb. And then there's a there's one last thing that's kind of blink and you miss it, but I think will be important. Um, Brandon says, before I go, I have one last secret to tell you. Because this guy's role is to appear once every season yep. and reveal a big old secret so the plot can keep on a moving. And they cut away before we hear what the terrible secret that Brandon reveals to Jasper is. He's just got an infinite storeroom of, I hope in season four, this character shows up in one <laughs> scene to be like, I've got a horrible secret to reveal to you. I know one family. last thing, unless we get renewed for season five, in, in which case I know one more thing after that. I'm the official knowing secrets the, man, and I appear once Knowing the Royals is going to be like, when I tried to shoot down Prince Robert's plane, I was like, no. And then Sebastian moved his hand over my <laughs> hand on the joystick and said, shoot Robert down so yeah. he will die and I will be king. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's why he had Sebastian um, investigated. Maybe it wasn't just romantic rivalry. Maybe Brandon told him. My go-between between Ted and me was <laughs> Sebastian Adrisi. <laughs> And now he wants Except to. Except Brandon wouldn't even know Sebastian's name. It's like, uh, it was this guy, real handsome guy with a short hair, and like yeah, slowly described him. Uh... Jasper, you're like, are you talking about Sebastian Idrisi? Yeah, and then Brandon would go, well, he did mention he was a prince. Yeah, Brandon is and knows and is from wherever this show needs him to be and be from <laughs> to get the plot a moving forward. Helena is nothing storyline. Super line. short. Um, Let's just say it because it is what it is. She and Jack Parker run away to Paris together just for one day. There's one scene of them together in Paris. It looks like it was really shot in Paris. I think Elizabeth Hurley was just like, uh, can I get a trip to Paris out of this show real quick? It looked like a green screen to me. Really? The first shot in particular looks... Like they were genuinely behind some, I couldn't, I didn't recognize the building, but. I think they were using some sort of outdoor body of water with buildings in England, but then the Eiffel Tower, the Eiffel Tower was not really there. Could have gone either way. The, the building behind them in the first shot definitely was real. And I wasn't sure if it was a Paris landmark or not, because I have never been there. I mean, there are waterways in England, too. They could have found something to shoot on there. But sure. who knows? Anything is possible, I guess. It's the royals. They do seem to have something of a budget. In any case, not nearly as bad as the fake view later in the episode, which is fucking terrible and super fake. But she goes to Paris, and Lord Chamberlain, Chamberlain Spencer Horn is, Horn, Horns, Hornsberger, um, Peter Hornsberger, <laughs> is uh, super jealous. And he's being a petulant little baby child about it. 
And yeah, he has tears in his eyes for this entire episode. A cl- he's pulling a Liam for sure. And he's like, hmm, you're making me cancel all your plans. Maybe you could at least tell me why. And she's like, no, I'm the Queen of England. The least I can do is employ you. And if you're going to continue to make me feel uncomfortable in my own home, then maybe you don't belong as part of this monarchy. And I was like, that is the most sensible thing you have ever said, Helena. I mean, granted, she should have never fucked him in the first place, but if she had to do that mm-hmm. then i'm glad that uh she finally stood up for herself here eventually this comes to a head as she can she goes on another date with uh mr billionaire parker man um, who even though as the music stated last time always says the right thing he makes the same dumb compliment joke twice, twice twice because in paris she's like look at that view and he's like it's looking beautiful but he's looking at her and then later on she's Super like this cliche. view is good too and he's like i always have the better view if you're here and it's like and okay that's pro- not only does he use it twice it's not even close to an original like line or come on or anything it's super played out cliche it's dumb they go to his in construction building to have i guess uh, a meal Tea. and and they are like oh what a beautiful view at the top floor of this in construction building and it's the fakest view of london i have ever <sighs> seen in my life like the eye is there and big ben and the thames and every landmark is perfectly there and it's like a super obvious fake like mural uh-huh. somebody put painted on the wall it's terrible uh yeah so she's reading text messages from this guy and literally laughing out loud which is what inspires spencer to get all pouty mm-hmm. he does hand in his resignation letter she rips it in half and tells him that they're friends which okay and he's, and he's super important to her yeah. let's move on i don't like he... this character he's just a petulant but sort of like heartsick, bro. There's not a whole lot to say about him. The scene ends with uh, her saying, you're not resigning. And he says, as he storms off, I know. So Yeah, once he's like basically out of frame. Now, finally, we can talk about the good stuff. Yeah, so uh, the final bit is the Liam and Robert storyline, which kind of bleeds into uh, Willow, Catherine, and Angie. Angie. Who is now a member of the cast, and she's fun. Catherine and Angie are sort of hanging out, as sisters presumably do. Um, And they're at... I like that you admit you don't know anything about sisters. Hedging your bets. I have a sister, but I am not a sister to her, so this is all secondhand (laughs) knowledge. Angie finds a shirt uh, that Liam had left over at her apartment, presumably in the weeks prior, and... Catherine's kind of freaking out, like, oh, I don't know, like, I feel like the other shoe's gonna drop and Robert's gonna figure it out or find one of Liam's shirts at my apartment or something. Yeah, if you're that sloppy about it, Catherine, then of course he's gonna find out. Also, Uh, Robert, or not Robert, Liam's shirt, as we will see, is embroidered with his initials, L-B-H. Yeah. I have to assume the B stands for bitch. I guess. I I also would have assumed prior to this that Liam was short for William, but I guess not. I don't think Liam is a nickname for William. Eventually, Willow comes by uh, Catherine's place looking for Catherine because she's working on PR for the royal family. So it makes sense this girl that he might have a relationship with. She's got to kind of, I guess, vet her and maybe get her out 
in front of the people a little bit. Especially because she's been tasked with finding a suitable next queen for Robert, which is kind of a big job. But she goes there and Catherine's not around. Uh, Instead, Angie opens the door and she's wearing Liam's shirt. And so Willow kind of puts two and two together and realizes Liam and Catherine probably had a thing. Yeah, I like how Willow almost immediately came to the correct conclusion. They didn't do some sort of comedy of misunderstanding where she's like, Liam's dating Angie, you know, because that Mm -hmm. would have been kind of annoying and like unnecessarily complicated. So I liked that she was able to quickly be like, oh, I know the score. And it's good to see Willow just be flatly competent and intelligent. So, there you go. Be continue to be the best character on this show. Meanwhile, Robert and Liam actually have a nice scene. Like, yeah. There's not there's a couple scenes of the episode where they are not just super antagonistic and bitchy to each other, particularly Liam towards Robert. Robert's motives are partially selfish, but also partially altruistic at times, um, which we'll get into. Like he has, he has this moment with Liam and Liam apologizes for the fight. And Robert jokingly is like, Oh, of course I get it. You want to be like me who wouldn't want to be like me. I'm so great. But is like, obviously being sarcastic and kidding. And he apologizes for his role in it and says like, don't worry. It was still, Emotions were running high after the boxing match, so, yeah, like, it's okay. He, he says something, so, uh, the same scene, he's like, and I don't think I was considerate enough of the fact that my coming back kind of quashed your ambitions for the crown, which is yeah. something you've been preparing for for a long time, and I don't think I was considerate enough of that of that fact. Liam was preparing for it for a long time. You know who was preparing for it for a longer time? Robert, Robert. for his yeah. entire life. Yeah, absolutely. When he was being literally trained to do that, right. which I assume is why he went into the military. I, I, I do think you're correct uh, in that Robert's motivations in this scene are both that he genuinely wants to repair his relationship with Liam, but also he needs politically for this not to be an issue. And I think that's fine. He's just killing two birds with one stone. This is why Robert is a more interesting character than the other characters, because he has both good and bad motivations, like a real human being. Whereas the show has to do things like make sure that Liam saw Catherine first, and then Robert called dibs on her. So we know that even though Liam slept with his brother's girlfriend, really, there could be no moral ambiguity there. He's just purely, purely good. Yes. You know what I mean? He goes on a date with Catherine and he has a nice little scene where some like some people from in a coffee shop recognize Catherine, I guess, from going on the date with Robert and they try to get a picture with her and they're like. What's Robert like? Is he great? Is he so great? And he just kind of sidles into frame and he's like, oh, he's okay. Yeah, it's so cute. Except that um, he's dressed like an 80s movie villain in this entire episode. His blazer is much too big for him and it's almost like double breasted. Like it has very large buttonings. So it's kind of funny. He's been on an island for 10 months. Fashions have changed a little bit. He and Catherine are in full like William and Kate drag, basically. Like Catherine. Catherine has never looked more like a blonde version of Kate Middleton. Mm-hmm. She's wearing a dress that Kate Middleton would wear. Her hair is styled exactly like Kate Middleton's. And, like, I felt like this episode sort of was alluding to their role as, um, like, icons to young girls, young women. 
Yeah, and there's and after he shows up, he takes a selfie with all the all the young women in the coffee shop, and it's even the way he takes the selfie. I think is very like I think he's naturally charming. Like the way he says "one more for luck," I felt like that was a pretty. Yeah, and then he takes the time to shake everyone's hands and talk to them. Like, it's not that he's trying to, like, secure votes. He's not an American politician. These people can't no. cast really cast their favor for him. His fate is going to be decided by this Privy Council. So it helps to be popular, but he, again, I feel like he's not purely selfishly motivated. Like, I feel like he enjoys connecting with his subjects, and he genuinely enjoys being um a public figure although again they return to this idea that he might actually like being out of the public spotlight when he's strolling along with Catherine. he talks about getting away from it all and like you know Mm -hmm. just like living the simple life and growing old together and lest people think I'm a quote-unquote shipper because I spent so much time talking about how I think the show is is going to put Robert and Willow together, I really enjoyed this scene, and I enjoy Catherine and Robert. I just feel like they're making it so obvious that she would prefer to be with Liam. Like, yeah. it's kind of embarrassing for him. When, even when they're surrounded by people and he's shaking hands, she looks very taken aback, and I'm like... Girl, you're going to have the same problem with Liam if you want to be with him. He's also a prince. The photo of the people actually kind of comes back because Liam sees it and he gets all Liam despondent. You know, hashtag hashtag sad Liam. Again, it's the most innocuous picture in the world. It's not even like Robert and Catherine are standing next to each other. They're not. They have multiple teen girls in in between between them. them. Um, So he goes down to the bar. To have a few drinks. And turns out Jasper is still uh, Liam's buddy, apparently. Because he shows up at the bar, too. And they uh, uh, commiserate over lost loves. And Jasper's like, maybe it's best that she gets over it. And Liam's like, that's shit advice. Well, Eleanor went on a naked tiger date with a prince. How do you feel now? And Jasper's like, I guess it was shit advice. And then they... In synchronization, take a shot. This is where this uh, storyline, I think, kind of kicks into high gear. This is the part of it I liked the most. I loved all of this. Yeah. Robert comes to Liam and he says, I still feel bad about taking away, like, maybe suddenly coming back and whatever ambitions you had, whatever hopes you had, maybe got kind of lost in the shuffle. Maybe it shouldn't be about who was born first. Maybe it should be about who's the most prepared. If mother is willing to... To put you forward as king, I will stand by that decision. Liam is such a child for not being able to see that this is a bluff through and through because Helena has made it abundantly clear from Jump Street who she thinks should and will be king. Yeah, she has, absolutely. This was like, it was adorable that Liam was like, maybe mommy will pick me. I kept mm-hmm. thinking of that line from uh, the Disney Robin Hood when Prince John is like seething to himself. Oh, mother always did like Richard better. Mm-hmm. Um, because Robert and Liam go to Helena and Robert is like laying it on so thick, like your majesty, et cetera, et cetera. And Helena says, your majesty, like, since when has mummy not worked? And I was like, 
when have any of your children whom you did not spend Christmas with because yeah. you were busy sleeping with your lover ever called you mummy? Mum, yes. You've only or been even nice. like mother. She's only been nice to them for a few months at this point. <laughs> yeah. It was really funny, but they have a serious conversation where Robert kind of backs off and Liam is like, I know I can be king because people think I have a good face and they like me. So what do you say, mom? This is when she's like, you did do really well while Robert was gone. Hashtag King Liam bores that out. (laughs) It's hilarious. Yeah, she says, hashtag King Liam bears that out. And you're just like, what are you talking about oh and liam also says i haven't always been the son you wanted me to be or needed me to be and i'm like honestly while robert was still alive no one needed you to be anything helena's like yeah no we're we're gonna go we're gonna go with robert it's robert's (laughs) because he's good at this and you're bad at this it's robert's time to shine baby and you better get on the robert train and Liam is all dejected. He's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. No, he just goes, yeah, I get it. And then walks out, like doesn't allow any more conversation about it, which strikes me as such a sulky move. But then Helena rounds on Robert. But even as she's fighting with him, she keeps admitting that he did the right thing. Right. She's like, how dare you ambush me like that? And he's like, listen, Liam needed to hear, but he didn't need to hear from me because I'm his brother who's stealing his spotlight. She's like, well, you're, I admire your motives, but not your methods. And he's like, sorry, mom. Like, yeah. and I kind of can't help but feel like she's scolding him for doing what she does, but being All better at it than her. Yeah. He's, he's good at manipulating people. He's better. Like, theoretically. This is the, why he should be king. Yeah. He's, this was a pretty savvy. Diplomacy. Yeah. This was legitimately like a pretty good, savvy way to take care of this particular problem. Like, it works. I mean, Liam is his brother, but also Liam is a political ally because he's a member of the royal family, which kind of automatically puts him in the game of their government in some way. So really, Robert was just using, you know, his allies to advance his cause. It was really something his mother should be proud of him for doing, if anything. But well, there is one last know. little bit to Liam's storyline, and it's when Willow comes to visit um she opens the door and leans on the door and she's wearing like her Anne margaret costume like ponytail button down cardigan she looks like she's about to start singing bye bye birdie and she's like hey buddy what's going on because he's in his room sulking over his legos they start getting into it and he eventually comes to the point where they start talking about her sort of attraction to him and She's like, he's like, I never asked you to be the girl who waits for me or something. Fuck this. He so led her on and now he's like pretending like she made it all up. Like they weren't about to kiss in that champagne dunk tank, among other places. She rightfully is like, well, guess what? You have not, even if you think I'm a friend, you've been treating me like shit. You've been making me do all your work for you. You haven't been kind to me in the slightest. You aren't treating me like love interest. You're not treating me like a person you care about at all. You're treating me like a fucking employee. So. And you're not even like treating me well as an employee. So 
treat me with respect as an employee or treat me with respect with a friend, but right now you're not doing either. It's just like she finally reads him for filth, and I want to believe that even though she's obviously upset because she had feelings for him, I want to believe this is the end of their romantic relationship. I I don't know if I could I don't know if I believe that, but it would maybe not be the worst thing. I don't know if I believe it either, but here's what I want to happen. I want Robert to become king, and then Willow to become queen, and then Willow to Little Mermaid style lean over in the bed and kill him, uh-huh. and then frame Cyrus for it, just take down any dissenters, and then she can be queen. Well, that would be quite a season four. And then, you know, it ends with this, as they always do, there's a little montage uh I, I do want to talk about one of my favorite music cues, but after Cyrus is has his breakdown about contemplating suicide, really loudly the soundtrack bumps up with "Got a head full of darkness and darkness is good," and it's like <laughs> the worst. It it legitimately made me laugh out loud when I watched the episode. Some A plus Royals on the nose betting. Um, there's some more of that, yeah. ton of on-the-nose music cues. Like, there's one where Liam is running and thinking about Robert, and the lyrics are like, this is why I can't stop, or like, this yeah. is why I can't quit, something like that. But the last montage is mostly what you'd expect. Oh, it's Jasper looking sad, and the last shot is Liam with tears streaking down his face in front of a fire. But there is one really, one moment I really love, which is uh, Eleanor comes back to bed for the night and she's oh, laying down and she kind of starts because she sees something and it cuts to the other side of the bed and the fox is there and she looks at it for a moment and kind of gently lays down and the fox lays down too and it is great i really loved it there it's like almost impossible to describe how beautiful this scene it is because it, it sounds really like a joke works. But it's like very blue and moonlight is coming Mm -hmm. in and it's quiet. And she and the fox seem to have like this moment of understanding almost like she is the fox. The fox is her. I want her to adopt the fox. Yes. I want the fox to be a new character so much more than like a child. But I felt like oddly moved by this moment. I loved it. Like, I genuinely. It was, great. it was really well done. I liked it a lot. And I didn't expect to see the fox again. I thought the fox was just a joke. So I was kind of surprised that they actually brought that fox back. And they did it really yeah. well. Yeah, I really loved it. That was a high point of the episode for me, for sure. All right. Well, I think that pretty much covers everything. Uh, things are well set up to be Robert versus Cyrus for the throne. And I hope that Liam doesn't fuck it up because... Yeah. Uh... <sighs> Because he needs to pull it together. Okay, well, before we get to our favorite moments and favorite images, since we're two episodes out now, let's get it on record. What is your prediction? Who will be king at the end of the season? Who will the crown land on? I think Robert will seem to have it locked up and things will go wrong. I think the idea the show has is that his, his machinations will come back to haunt him or something of that nature. And... It'll go awry. I don't 
see this show giving it to Liam, but it also feels weird to keep it with Cyrus a little bit. Maybe Cyrus will hold on to it for a little longer? Maybe he'll come through in a pinch? I Not a solid guess, but it's the best I've got right now. I feel like the most interesting choice would be to have Robert take the throne so that Cyrus could be a schemer again. He could kind of lean into being evil that way. But I think what will happen is that Cyrus will keep the crown and Robert is the one who will become the more evil schemer because of this. Because there's a, they have a clear end for Eleanor and Liam to be extremely alienated from Robert and they'll probably drop that. They would rather have Robert be the villain, which is fine. I would just hope they keep him around because he's proved to be a super interesting character that always makes for a lot of discussion and often genuinely fun and charming moments. Um yep. And speaking of funning, fun and charming moments, what was your favorite moment or image from this episode? Uh, it was Eleanor and the fox at the end of the episode. That was, yeah. without question, my favorite bit of the episode. I loved it so much, too. It was so unexpected and kind of separate from everything else in her plot, but still it just worked so well and it made me think of like that scene of Alexandra Park in season two that we liked so much. I think it was season two laying in the throne room, looking up at the murals and just, she does so much with just her expression, no dialogue. So yeah, it was my favorite too. All right. Well, I guess that wraps us up for this week. We're getting down to the final two. I think they're off next week. So oh, I'm heartbroken. Please pray for renewal. There really needs to be a season four. I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be, but I need one. We will. Uh, this episode will probably come out pretty close to the weekend, I imagine. So expect another one next weekend. I don't think we'll be gone as long as the show will be, probably. And uh, hopefully the next time Stage Fools is on the air, we will actually be recording from the same location again. I have been Zach Powers. And I'm Shannon Camp. Bye. Goodbye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter, at Stage of Fools Pod, or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.